am your host, Caleb Porzio. And I'm your other host, Daniel Colborn. And uh, today's episode is brought to you by um, Victorinox. Uh, yeah. So thank you, Victorinox. 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 Is it? I mean, it's pronounced Victorinox, right? Like that's at I least an so, American yeah. pronunciation. I think. But I think, I think like I the, so. the Swiss word inox or inox that's supposed to mean like steel or something. I can't imagine they pronounce it inox, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how the Swiss pronounce anything. I know. I know. I just don't know. German, kind of Germanish, but I feel like German but a little more nasal. Give me give me your best uh give me your best shot. Victorinox. Okay. Oh, that was a little Scandinavian. That was a more right. Scandinavian than I was going for. <laughs> yep. Um that's great. So, Daniel. Yeah. We have so much to catch up on. We do, dude. It's been years. Buddy. Literally, we haven't done a podcast this year. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, it's been bittersweet times around here. Okay. I'm sure you know, well, the third week of January is big, you know? No. Oh, well, you've been sick, so you could be excused for not knowing. Oh, boy. What don't I know? So, every year in the second or third week of January, it kind of depends year to year. It's not like based on the week. It's other things way into it. The dogs elect their leader. Um, and Max was really in the running on a national level this year. And he just narrowly missed it. Uh, regionally, he's still the leader regionally, hmm. uh, sort of for the Southeast Corridor. Okay. Um, but he did end up losing to a Yorkie from Oregon, sadly. <laughs> so... Tell me about this. I I'm sorry. I wasn't aware. Yeah, because well, I was. You know, he'd he'd been he'd been doing a lot of media training. Okay. You know, uh, debate practice. Okay. All the you know all the stuff. Who's he was working on shake? Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing a lot of shake practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's funny. And That's uh, funny. we really thought we had it in the bag this time, but uh, that goddamn Yorkie sparkles. Spark. Yeah, from Eugene, Oregon. Son of a bitch, sparkles. Yeah, it's quite literally. Yeah, right. Um, that's that is funny, literally and good. Um, okay, so that he is he got second place. Well, he got first place regionally. Regionally, but you know, there's there's like eight regions. So in Asheville, you, it's hard to or in the world. No, in the country. In the country. Yeah. So he got first place for so, one of the eight regions in the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Southeast Corridor, yeah. And this is for running for best dog of the year. It will leader. Okay. It's a it's leader. a political office. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It Sparkles is actually like running on like a very kind of harsh austerity platform. Okay. Um so I yeah. don't know. We all we all wanted to see Sparkles fall. <laughs> well just open up a little bit of spending, you know, bust open those coffers. We all pay the taxes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't like to. Can't get, we get a couple more fire hydrants? I don't like to get political on the show, Daniel. I don't think that's that's true. I'm sorry. <sighs> uh, well, congratulations to Max for making it so far. Yeah, Daniel, mm-hmm. what the heck are you talking about, dude? Nothing. I was just, I was just doing it. Oh, really? Doing a fun times. Okay, a pure. Yeah. This is a purely made up bit. It, it was a pure bit. Come on. There's no Come contest on, at I all. Know. No, and if there was, Max wouldn't win. <laughs> Max would win. He's a very That's beautiful, true. unique dog. 
That's true. Yeah, he should be the leader. And in fact, he's a good boy. He's a great, one of the greatest boys. He is a certified um, good boy. So he has a lot of small stuffed toys. Um, by small, I'm saying like around the size of a like an Xbox controller. Yeah. Size stuffed toys. So one of them is a sushi. Yep. It's like a salmon sushi. Yeah. Um, and he carried it around for a long time. We just recently got him a new sushi. Okay. But he still likes the other one too. So he moves them sort of from room to room in like a staggered nice. pattern where he'll be like, oh, this sushi's in this room. This one's in this room. When I move this one, then I'll go get the other one and put it where the old one was. <laughs> nice. so I love it. He's been running some sushi games. I love that. I love yeah. dogs and their stuffed animals. Yeah. They get really it's gross and then you buy the new exact same one and then they're like, what the uh-huh. heck is this thing? Well, this is actually a different brand of sushi. Oh. So he knows. It does seem to absorb more odor mm. though. Oh, well that adds that adds to the list of topics that I have, Daniel. You odorous? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we should just launch into that. I I am odorous in my underarms often. So mm-hmm. I naturally change my shirt every day as mm-hmm. one does. Um, but I bought a wool shirt because I have a wool sweater that never ever I, smells thank you. at all. Thank you, Caleb. And I never wash it and it never smells. So I bought a wool shirt, 100% merino, and I'm running an experiment. You're welcome. Caleb, I wear a lot of wool. Do you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. I wear a lot of wool. <laughs> really? Wool. Good. Yeah. It, actually, in fact, for crim- for Crimbist, um, yeah. I requested of my wife a set of these particular wool slippers. Oh. what? Are th- and I received they're them. Are they? They're not what? Glurps? No, I okay. so. I wear wool slippers, too, and I'm... I'm an evangelist. Go on. It's like a wool felt, though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Dude. Yeah, yeah. It's like a thick wool what felt. What are you talking about, bro? They're similar to that, but they're not that. Dude, bro. Yeah. These are 100% very, wool very felt, dope. bro. Very dope. Very dope. I've worn these every um, day for basically my entire life. and I bought her some really good wool smell. slippers like three years ago, and I've been envying them since that Christmas. Nice. And that's what, you know, like wool felt is what's up, because like the wool... Yeah. Um, structure puffy schmeckle stuff is just going to make your feet really gross and sweaty and, and it's going to fall apart and go yeah, the way of the dinosaur right. wool felt is what's up and so i have a, a tear in this where the where the foot bends and you can repair wool felt with needle felting which is like an arts and crafts thing where you take like wool and you just poke a needle into other wool over and over like there's a and it just kind of yeah, vibes itself and it together. Just like morphs into it, so it's a really easy material to repair, which is pretty cool. It's cool, dude. I can hear my plosiving, and it's killing me. It's fine. Uh, the up the update, folks, is I'm testing out a new mic, brand new mic that. Um, so normally I use the Shure SM7B, which yes. similar to you is like a mic with a whole arm that with an XLR thing that goes into an interface. That you have a head goes into a cloud lifter in the interface. Yeah. yeah, that goes into a cloud lifter that then goes in your computer, and all of that rigmarole, you know. Mm-hmm. But and so I'm going to Florida this year, as always, for an extended period do. of time, and I always bring everything. I bring my mon- I bring my entire setup, including yeah. everything I just described. And so this year, I'm turning over a new leaf, and I'm just going to bring a single backpack of cure 
of computer gear because I'm not doing Laracon, nice. so I feel like I don't need whatever. Um, Are you coming to Laracon? I'm US? sorry, I am doing Laracon, but Laracon isn't happening while I'm in Florida. It doesn't require you to be Florida man. Yeah, I am doing Laracon US. For yeah. Laracon. Um, That's great. I have my ticket. I will see you there. So let's talk about Laracon in one second. I'm trying out the Sure sorry. MV7 uh, for anybody who cares, and it's like, it looks like the SM7B, USB. but it's USB. It is also XLR if you want to use it that way. But it's USB. It's got like a mute button on it. It's got a volume button on it. Like it's got basically the the job of the interface is be, and the cloud lifter and everything is being done in this small little package that's half the size of the SM7B. Um, and it has a headphone jack right on it for monitoring. And so far, so far so good, except clearly it is picking up all my puh, 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 uh, if I'm not careful. So... Yeah. So I'm pumped. I'm bringing this. I'm bringing a laptop stand, my keyboard, my mouse, and a USB hub, and that's it. And That's pretty good. Yeah. So we'll see. And I get two. Pretty oh, Before good. we talk about Laracon, still, I have to talk, we have to talk about bags. Yeah. No, we have, I got dude, a new I've bag, got a lot dude. of little topics, Yeah, just too. a little. You got a new bag. We, this is a sto- these are stocking stuffer topics, the whole episode. Okay. You got a new bag. I got a new bag. Uh, you've, uh, you're a bag guy. You have remember the, after Laracon, we sat in that hotel room and talked about the peak everyday backpack? Yes, I do. And you, the you talked bag. me into waiting till September to see if I still wanted it. I don't it was remember like that. a $300 backpack. Right. And this was in like Frugal Caleb right. days. Right, funny. That's and you were, like, you were like, I could never just buy it because I wanted it. Like, so maybe wait until September and see if you still want it. And then if you want it, you can buy it. And I was like, I'll try that. Did you? So I did. And I own it. And now I own their travel backpack, too. Okay. And uh, do you love it? Because I almost bought yeah, that. Yeah, it's a good backpack. It's a good backpack. Yeah. But I, I opted for something. So I have the Air Travel Pack, the the mini one. Do you know that that bag? So A-E-R. Um, A-E-R. I'll, I'll show it to the user. Yeah, so it's one of those bags that is um, like it's both a normal kind of laptop holder backpack with a zillion pockets and like sailcloth like high sure. quality bag but it it has the um the kind of vibe of like like their their bigger size is meant to be like a one bag setup where kind yes. of like a roller bag you would unzip like in clamshell mode you know and then have this mm-hmm. bay these backpacks are yep. that way and they have like side straps to cinch them down like the whatever the peak um travel backpack that you have yeah the travel backpack yeah. so this is one of those it's just a mini version so it's not as ridiculously huge as all those travel backpacks are. Uh, I um, have come al- come around to a realization. Um, so I have I perfected the travel backpack methodology. Yeah. Um, and it is this. So what you want is a bagu. You know bagu. No. Okay, bagu is a bag company. Okay. B a g g u. Okay. Um, and Bagu makes this one messenger bag that is just like the most normal messenger bag okay. of all yeah, time. Yeah, the lightweight. No. Crossbody cross bags. Uh, sure, whatever. I don't know the yeah, name. Yeah, crossbody But it's bags, like a really yeah. normal shaped messenger bag. Uh, dude, this and is it's like a, a very fanny pack. Thin... No, it's not a fanny pack. It's like a messenger bag. No, it's um, The one I'm looking at is pretty fanny. Anyway, go on. Messenger bag. Anyway, they they make a messenger bag, and um, it's like it folds completely flat. Is the key okay? It folds so flat you can 
Like, mm. even if you have the fullest backpack of all time, yeah, you could fit it. You can slide it in there huh. without noticing, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. So, my key to the travel backpack lifestyle okay. is I pack my laptop in the travel backpack, yep. I pack my tech pouch in the travel backpack, I pack my packing cubes in the travel backpack, right. I do all that stuff. And then the last thing I do is I put my Patagonia fleece okay. and then my Bagu bag. And so then when I get to the hotel and I want to like go to a coffee shop and get some work done, I don't have to then use my travel backpack as my bag yeah. on location. And so I have this like infinitely small messenger bag hmm. that becomes like a really functional, usable day what bag. Hold your laptop. It holds my 16-inch laptop. Oh, wow. It's perfect. Interesting. Um, Fascinating. So anyway. Yeah. Well, I guess But I've realized that like a good travel backpack trip kind of caps out at like four days. Mm. Yeah. That's that's what I'm trying to figure out here, Deke. Because I I love the idea, obviously, of like one bagging it. Um, And I... For a weekend, you can do that. Yeah. And I love the idea of like, you know, I fly Frontier a lot and they charge you for everything. So if I could have like one single bag... That is also it's summer, so you could probably do it. What do you mean it's summer for Laracon or whatever? Well, you're going to Florida. It's the summer. You're not bringing tons of layers and coats and. Oh right. So well, no. So Florida. I mean, we drive. I bought a van solely to drive all my shit to Florida. Like, oh right. right, right, right. <laughs> we packed right. the van. The van stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is like traveling in the summer with a travel bag is way more enjoyable than traveling in the winter sure. with a travel bag. Yeah, I, I could because. Warm yeah. clothes are big. Um, Warm clothes, light shoes, everything's right. chill. You know. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna try this this thing. I I mean the, the normal size travel backpacks. Se- it seems like oh totally that would work. But this one's a mini one, and I feel like it's gonna be a stretch. But and I I have another constraint of um I I have like you know my neck issues, so I don't I mm-hmm. I bring a sleeping pad to sleep on when mm-hmm. I go places. You know, just like a ultralight backpacking blow up sleeping pad, blow up one, yeah. Um, and that takes up, you know, yay much space, about the space of two Xbox controllers, I would say. Um, so anyway, but I'm excited because I finally broke into the super expensive cool guy travel backpack life. Like this is my nice. first backpack that is in that realm. I was like looking up. There's like packed bags, airbags, peak design bags. What else? There's a couple other, and then there's that one. It's that, named after a guy. Um, it's like Jack Alexander bag or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I have the the peaked one, the Tortuga Outbreaker, the Air Travel Pack, and the Packed bag. Like those are the ones that I was looking at. I don't know any others. Um, yeah, but anyway, so it feels good. And holy cow, man! Tom Bin, Tom Bin Tom bag. Bin. Tom Tom Bin, Bin bag. bag, Tom Bin. That's B I H N. Yes, B I H N. Dude, bags are something, man. I love bags. <laughs> yeah, the Tom Bin bags are very loved. Are they? Oh, this yes. is a cool. Mitch would kick it a kick out of this like messenger bag. He basically he sewed his own out of pants, and it is looks just like this. Cool. Um, so yeah. Anyway, the um, but yeah, bags are great. The I'm so I'm like on this kick of like upgrading and downsizing mm-hmm. one thing at a time. Okay. Um, so I'm not buying any more things 
of the quality that I already have. Okay. I am replacing the things I have with things of better quality. Okay. Um, it's a great exercise. I really enjoy it. Okay, give me an example. Um, uh, pants. Pants. I'm not... No Levi's anymore. Mm. The Levi's, like, I love them. They're really comfy for the first year and a half. Yeah. Um, but they, they're like, they rip really easily. Your belt loop always gets ripped out in the back. Yeah, that doesn't happen to me. Um, you must have a big butt. Okay. I destroy Levi's. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I do wear Levi's as well, and they do. If you snag them on something, like, they're just ruined. Hmm. You know, like they, like I've like punctured Levi's, like just kind of like snagging them on a piece of metal a million times. Wow. So I'm wearing nicer jeans and nicer pants and just things of nicer materials yep. now. Um, and that's sort of been a process for a while, but like I just yeah. decided I'm like, I'm going to go down to like four pairs of pants, you know? Yep. Yep. I mean, I, I'm sort I'm undergoing sort of the same thing with this wool bit, like. I yeah. want to get like a wool well, button down. I'm so excited about the wool. And just stick with like I have one wool button down that I wear, you know. Um, My next big move is boots. Boots. Yeah, so I have a pair of boots that I really like yeah. that I actually bought in uh, San Francisco. Yep. What are the What are these um, boots for? Like, what are, What are we talking? They're a pair of brown boots. Like, is this for hiking? You can dress them up. Walking, you can dress them or... down. No, no, no. They're okay. They're nice. Boots. Oh yeah. All right. Like leather looking. You can dress them up. You can dress them down. They're definitely like living in a city type see, of boots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I bought these in San Francisco on a uh, Titan trip. Um, and they're nice, but they are like not fully welted. And they had like a soft rubber sole. And now that soft rubber sole has kind of gotten beat to shit. Uh-huh. And I can't get them resold because of the welt. Mm. Right? So I'm like at this point where I'm like, okay. I like the way these boots feel on my feet. Like, it's a, I like the leather. It's yeah. very soft, but also strong. So I want, like, high-quality boots. But I want to, when I run into this problem again in four years, I want to be able to send them away and get them resold and have yeah, them come right. back. So that's the next move. I'm looking at Thursdays. Cool. They're kind of, like, on the lower end of, like, fully welted American-made boots. Okay, And then... That can go all. That can go infinitely expensive. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm trying to not spend infinite money. Right. No, that's cool though. That's, uh, yeah, I I think I'm I'm on sort of the same track. Not with footwear, but yeah, with like shirts and well, actually, so the socks. I just uh, you know, we've talked about socks, and so I wear the Hanes max comfort max cushion or whatever i was actually they had me on syntax fm and at the end they have oh this yeah like, yeah they did and at the end they nice. have this like um your picks or your hot pick i don't know whatever and uh, and in in the example when they send me like the like prep questions they prepped me that like they'll ask me this and they put as an it doesn't have to be tech could be like socks you know like as a joke and i was like i literally just ordered a hundred dollars worth of the one sock that I wear just just to like reset the whole stash and just in case they ever stop making it the same way like I'll just have this massive mm-hmm. pile of these socks that's how it was with the Microsoft ergonomic keyboard for a while the sculpt yeah did you what you bought I had three at oh one gosh, point yeah. yeah I mean that's that's a great example of something to have like that the sculpt totally 
Everyone yeah. should have three. I still sculpts, have at least one. Do you use the sculpt on a daily basis? No. 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 I'm a happy hacking keyboard guy now. A happy what? Happy hacking keyboard. What's a hacking keyboard? HHKB is H-H- I don't know, it's a Japanese keyboard. Oh, okay. Um hey, I because we're, you know, just jumping all over the place with our stock yeah. stuffers. Um I bought a Moonlander. Okay. Have you bought or used one? I own one, yes. Okay. You own one. Um that's <laughs> a funny thing. Daniel, you're a funny guy. You're a funny guy, Daniel. Um There's never here's the you're already on an Ergo Docs. Yeah. But I'll tell you, as a person who's not currently on an Ergo Docs, there's never a good day to learn to use a Moonlander. <laughs> Dude, I hate my freaking mic. Um, this thing sucks. I need a better wind filter. Uh, you should bring it up like four or five more times during the uh, show. Daniel, the uh-huh. the Moonlander, you're right. There's never a good month to, to learn to use a Moonlander. <laughs> and I have already there's used never, to learn. Never a good 90 days to learn to use a Moonlander. <laughs> So I I got one and it, it isn't it isn't the easiest thing to switch over to. Like my fingers are used to that style, but the placement's weird. It feels awkward. It feels big to me. And the, the thumb yeah. placement is whack. Like I was like, how does anybody how does anybody The red rest? buttons are weird. Yeah, like how do you rest your thumbs on these buttons? You I have to like crank my thumbs down. Like really widen my thumb to get down. Where like huh. the ergodocs it's like you put your hands up, your thumb is just kind of naturally offset, and that's the Ergodox. But the Moonlander mm-hmm. is like this. And so I, I, after buying it and receiving it and experiencing this, I read, went on Reddit and like a lot of people say that. It's like half and half. Half people love it. Half people are like, this thumb situation is whacked, and why can't I adjust it or anything? So anyway, I returned it. And to return it, you have to – this is crazy, Daniel. I, I returned this. I, I did a return. That's wild. But a big return. Like you have to return it to Taiwan and you have to pay, you have to like go to USPS and pay $90. You have to like email somebody, to send it. then get the address to like initiate it. Then you send it via USPS for $90 so you send, and then you get you the pay, tracking code you pay and you send it to the guy. You pay $90 for the right to return a $250 keyboard yeah. or whatever? Well, it's not $250. How much is it? $300? It I think it's more than that. The Moonlander is, if I hit buy now on a Moonlander, it is $365 plus Damn, tax. I hope I wrote that off on my taxes. Dude, I know. When and I, I was like, it. I know, $90. <laughs> and I went on the, the return thing and they're like, they literally say like, it's going to cost you $90 to return this thing. We're sorry, but we can't eat that cost because we're like an independent company. Did you? They, they like, literally look say on... they're, you're better off selling it on a secondary marketplace. Yeah, that's why I was. That's what I was gonna say. Did you look into that? No. To me, that would just be. I don't know. I felt like. I felt like I wouldn't get. You know, like, I, what am I gonna sell it for the exact price they have on the site? No, I. I what I would give like a fifty dollar discount. And, sure. and then the hassle involved in that and waiting and what do I do it on Facebook? Nobody on Facebook Marketplace in Buffalo is gonna buy a Moonlander. I, at least I don't think it's like gonna have to be eBay. So could have sold it at Laracon. Dude, I did think like you could have brought it on stage during your talk and said, "Does anyone want to buy this?" If keyboard? I had more, dude, if I had, like had more of like a cult of personality <laughs> following me, and you could I, sign it, I yeah. would like sign it with like a whiteout pen and sell it for the exact price. You should <laughs> sign the ErgoDocs because you switched to that ErgoDocs while 
writing Livewire for the first time. Really? Yeah. I remember you came to my house. We talked about the Livewire Ajax. Like, maybe Livewire shouldn't be a WebSockets thing. Mm. Maybe it should be Ajax Mm. instead. Funny. Um, And you showed me your new Ergo Docs. Oh, that's And your bucket full of books. Yeah. That you were going to read on your your, uh, sabbatical. I didn't read them. You're like, I'm going to read all these books and not write any code. I didn't read them. Also, check out my new Ergo Docs. Also, here's an idea called Livewire. Let's talk about it. Interesting. Daniel, you have a great memory. That was a great memory. I really enjoyed that moment. Wow. I I remember everything about it except for all the details. (laughs) I remember going to your house, but I don't remember any of that. Um, Daniel, I... That's funny. And, like, let's just say... Like, you know, Taylor auctioned off like a keyboard autographed by him. And he was like, I wrote Laravel on this keyboard. Like, yeah, that would be dope. Um, So it'd be so annoying that David Hemphill would buy it. Yeah, I know. That's funny. Like, it'd be super annoying that he would bid it up to like, you know, whatever he amount. He said that he's going to he was like, because he's he's clearly a collector of keyboards. And he's like, I don't want to sell these things on ebay or facebook market who's like i'm tempted to like create my own e-commerce site to sell my keyboards <laughs> which yeah. is great that's really fun yeah um yeah yeah the mech market subreddit is like terrible oh that's a subreddit to sell your keyboards to sell keyboards because everybody just and there's like a specific format you have to write your post in or else oh. it gets deleted by the mods and you have to you have to post a picture of the thing with like a piece of paper that says your username and the date next to it so that oh. people know that it's real you know that's all right yeah yeah i know it's just i don't like any sort of subreddit where there's like posting guidelines that i will inevitably not read and then fuck up and then have to make my post again yeah. after it gets deleted by the boss oh, that's pretty interesting though if i were to, if i had to sell the moonlander that would be probably the place to do it yeah and you would probably be able to sell it for more than you paid for it tbh why um or uh, i guess they're not scarce anymore you can they're just buy scarce. them now you can just buy them yeah. okay yeah, yeah. When I bought mine, they were right, scarce. Right, right, yeah. Yep. But it it's cool. There's something I really liked about it was it came in like a pack, like a it's meant in a little foldy, yeah, foldy neoprene, neoprene pack. pack. Exactly. With ev- it's yeah. like you got this one little um tra- it, it's like the like a travel it's like a cube, football full of keyboard for a keyboard. Um yeah. and you can bring that around with you, which is great. But dude, the it's kind of like is so it's kind of like better. a CD book from that used to be in someone's car. They would have their like a summer ninety nine oh, mix exactly, in it. Exactly, yeah. yeah, like that pleather fat uh-huh. CD book. Absolutely, dude. And rich kids had those big ones. The oh, the multi you CD. Know, the like, or if the you mul- were rich, you had one of those like five hundred CD books. Maybe, and all of them had like all of the album artwork like yeah. in them. None of them were burned. It was like the actual legit CDs yeah. from Tower Records or whatever, you know? Anna like, was like so on principle. This was our, like basically the start of our relationship was arguing about pirating music. piracy. Music. Yeah. Dude, that was such a hot button issue it in the like Christian community of the early 2000s. It was a, yeah. And I was like totally the, I was the master pirate and obviously oh, my too, whole dude. life. Me too. And what <laughs> CD, all the shit. Yeah. And she was so on principle against it. She, and she was so into Christian music. She wanted to be like a Christian music radio broadcaster. Yeah. So she. And you're like, come on, Han, you wouldn't download a car. 
You wouldn't download a car. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, I yeah, I gave it, dude. She would laugh because we. She remembers I was how much of a like I would just poke and prod her because she was easy to get yeah, like yeah. riled up and whatever. But yeah, but she was super into music and so she just like acquired CDs her whole life for every occasion with every dollar she had. And so yeah, she had like a, a ridiculous collection of Hell bought yeah. CDs, and I don't think I've bought more than two CDs in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, CDs. CDs, man. CDs. CDs. Yep. Um, yeah, a, CDs we, we don't have hooks. to go down in this. We've probably been down here before, but me and my brother reminisce about this a lot because, like, we were, I don't know, just the, the various, like, influxes of burned CDs in our lives that influenced our music. Oh, yeah. Like, the oh, first yeah. one was the library. We discovered you could just burn CDs from the library, and they had, uh-huh. like, that was all our classic rock era. But our buddy, he, like handed us he had an older brother so this is like why i'm into blink and all of that music is because this dude had an older brother who was super punk and so he whatever so this our friend he burnt us a um what do you call that the cd the tray of like 50 cds uh Uh what do you call that there's like a word for it right like a spindle I i don't know a spindle yeah yeah he he like burned he took a 50 cd spindle and burned us it just handed it to us but Hell every yeah. one of those 50 cds was a burned album labeled and it was like all the music that made me you know mm-hmm. and brock and i just sucked it down and it it was like life-changing anyway so you know you know with the ipods you couldn't down officially there was not a way to like download music off of someone else's ipod yeah right but there were unofficially there were ways to do that oh I um about them. there were and so there was a guy when i lived in japan there was this dude who came who was like a short-term missionary like a summer missionary maybe yeah you know uh-huh. and he was like probably 19 and i was like 14 or something okay and he just like let me take his ipod and just like steal his whole library and like there are so many bands that i like sublime Mm. you know what i'm saying like stuff like that where it's like i like listen to so many bands for the first time from that like uh neutral milk hotel like all this all this stuff that's just like yeah great stuff it's really interesting how yeah i don't know music influence and how that comes from weird random places and being young you're so receptive to it you're so just like so it's crazy how much like i love that neutral milk hotel album mm-hmm. and it's just like oh yeah that, like i might have just not loved that album if that right. dude hadn't given me his iphone yep yeah yeah it's pretty wild and i think like i connected with a lot of like older kids because my buddy's brother was older so all that music was his era of music so like my one of my best buds kenny he's 10 years older than me but we love all the same music um because i would you know just was like trained on 10 years older music yeah um but yeah uh hell yeah daniel on the topic of japan and whatever are you Dude. were you in, so i'm really in a tea i've always been in a tea but i always kind of oh you're back, after, I'm back after the teeth i'm actually i'm yeah i'm, I'm gong fu brewing from a gaiwan right now uh-huh. Tell me about like tea in your so Kyoto is like the birthplace of tea. That's kinda. a place. Um, 
I would have assumed that was in China. Yeah, Yunnan but... in China, but but like the birthplace, of, like the the book of tea, like the guy who wrote, okay, like the father of all tea. the like all the Japanese tea stuff. Yeah, but even I mean, just tea like around like this guy like formalized like the tea brewing process. He's the king, and and he lived in Kyoto, and so there's like some stuff there. Whatever. Anyway, like you ever do a puer? Yeah, dude, I got a puer cake right here. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. puer. That's a that's like a fun dope. activity tea. It is. It you get to grind it and yeah, like, actually shave it or whatever. This is my puer um, spike. Oh, you got a spike about yeah, it. Yeah, so you kind of like pry it apart, so that you you That's don't want to cool. like grind it. You want to keep try to preserve the leaves as best as possible. So you kind of stab this into the cake and pry it, and the cake the good. Is that cakes, also how you fix felt? I could probably use this to do that too. Yeah, you could fix some felt with that. But I so I'm in I'm you know I found like I found a good source like a good mm-hmm. for the listener. Caleb's holding what appears to be like the most expensive ice pick. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I didn't describe it to listen. It's like a forty dollars, like, like a sharp really piece of metal. expensive cigar. Yeah, gold wrapped cigar, but it's whatever. This was this was six dollars. Six dollars. This Yunnan, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yunnan, Yunnan province in China, whatever. That there's okay. like a sourcing company that sources tea from there, and uh-huh. uh, and they so they sell like teaware as well, and it's just so cheap because it's just cheap for some reason. But the tea's expensive, so. Anyway, so yeah, dude, super into loose leaf tea, and this tea from you. So if anybody really wants to get into loose leaf tea or whatever, skip all the other distributors. Yunansourcing.com is what's up. Like this is the best okay. tea, and so. This there's a category of teas that I love from being a child in Japan. Ah, that great are. This is, this is great. That are not fancy. Okay. These are utilitarian teas okay. in Japan. Uh, so one is Oyocha, which I'm sure you've had. It's like a bottled Ojicha? green tea. Oyocha. I don't... Right. Is it... So it is a green tea. It's a green tea, and it's in a bottle, and it's like the most famous like two-liter bottle of green tea in Japan. Oh, so this is a brand. Yeah funny okay and so you buy it at the convenience store or whatever and you just like have it in your fridge and you come home from like playing baseball or whatever and you drink this like iced green tea out of your fridge and it's like so good huh um the other is called mugicha okay which is a barley tea Hmm. um mugicha it's not tea as far as i know it's like made of barley um but mugicha is another like summer fridge drink Mm. you can buy it in bottles but my mom would get like bags and she would just like make big ass jugs of mugicha interesting and it's this like unsweetened barley tea but if it's super cold and you're super hot like there is no better experience in the entire world than like like an ice glass of mugicha like but for japanese kids it's more refreshing than gatorade it is because Gatorade's still kind of syrupy. Yeah, it is. You know what I'm saying? This stuff is so thin, uh-huh. but also flavorful. Huh. It, would love it, to yeah, try it rocks your world, man. Mogi Cha. I have so many like, like core memories of like playing baseball and just being hot. You know? Yeah. Summer in Japan is hot. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And so you're just like hot. It's like Atlanta summer. You know what oh. I'm saying? 
you're just like playing baseball in like 103 degree weather and like you go inside and in japan there's only air conditioning in certain rooms it's not like central air conditioning oh so you like open the front door and you walk into your sweltering house and you walk down the long hallway and then you open the door to the big family room where the air conditioning is like blasting and you're like Oh, uh, finally. Nice. Like, it's cool. And you just get, like, a big old fucking glass of Mugicha and drink it. And you're like, yeah, hell yeah. This is good. This is good stuff. Nice. So, anyway, get you some Mugicha, Mugicha if you at all can. If you can go to, like, an Asian grocery store, I'm sure you can find Mugicha. A bunch of them in Florida where we're going. I don't I don't know if we have one here. But... And you can definitely find bottles of Oyocha also. Oyocha, Mugicha. Did you drink, like, was Sencha, like, a common tea that everybody drank? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, uh, we would go to, like, Japanese churches, and, like, it would be pretty common for, like, the old Japanese church ladies to make green tea, like, after church. Um, Okay. And so, often it was Sencha or, like, Genmaicha. Nice, dude. Um, I love Genmaicha. It's got to be one of my favorite yeah. teas of all time. Genmaicha is like, that's probably my go-to green tea. It's so freaking delicious. For the user listener, it's like um, toasted rice mixed in with sencha, which is like green tea. Mm-hmm. Um, Japanese green tea, though. It's like way different than Chinese green tea. But yeah, but yeah, it's delicious because it's got that like ricey aroma, that cooked rice. I don't know, with mm-hmm. tea. It's freaking awesome. And America's like on this whole like matcha kick right now. Yeah. Like, America's like, yo, we should put matcha in Starbucks drinks yeah. and, like, like milkshakes and all kinds of shit. Um, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into matcha, but go, go on. It, it can be really good, but, like, you don't, like, matcha is, like, a ceremonial tea, mm. you know? Matcha is a special occasions yeah, tea, and you drink it, thing. you drink it, and it kind of sucks. <laughs> I know that's I know that's not like exactly true, but it's like when you like it's so bitter and it's like thick, yeah. you know, it's like you wouldn't like drink that every day. Yeah. But here it's just like, oh yeah, I get a matcha latte from Starbucks yeah, every funny. morning. It's like oh, weird. A matcha <laughs> you know? I've had is actually pretty sweet. It's like yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like the only way for it to sweet. be well not with like, sugar appealing to Americans is just like I don't think maybe I have it, had it with sugar. Maybe that's. Cause like matcha is matcha tastes like fucking grass. Yeah, yeah dude. right. I know. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It know. tastes like like if you if you ever seen like uh, a video of someone like cleaning a horse's hoof. Yes, and with it's a chisel. Awesome. <laughs> it's it's like someone took dude, that stuff most, and like, made tea out of it. Thing ever. That's funny. That is funny. <laughs> Watching them like shave a horse's hoof and get all. Oh, the, dude, oh my yeah. gosh, just yeah. that's yeah. I wish I had a hoof. Same. Totally. Um, so that's cool, dude. Did you ever go to like a tea temple there? Yeah. Like, did you I've ever been, climb like, like a pl- giant old staircase and drink tea at the top of it? No. I went to like a garden, like a tea garden thing one time. Okay. Um, and then like we did tea ceremonies like in school once or twice where like we wore like kimono and someone came in who was like a tea expert oh, cool. and like made the tea. Yeah. And, like, you know, there's a whole, there's a brush. There's like a whole process of like you pass it to him and he passes it back to you, and you have to rotate the cup like uh, half rotate, half rotate. Huh. So like you set the cup like on your palm. Okay. Like here, I'm gonna do it with this Lacroix 
So you like set it on your palm and then you half rotate, half rotate, drink. Okay. It's like a, there's like all this like ritual yeah, around matcha ceremonies oh. specifically. I, I've always been tempted to like do my own kind of tea ceremony, tea stuff. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I have my own version of it right here in front of me, but you know, the way that, you know, the tr- more traditional like Chinese tea ceremony where you have like yeah, that yeah. wooden thing that you can just pour water like on and into mm-hmm. and do the like the warming and then the, the special thing for the aromatics and then you sniff it and then the fairness pitcher before you pour it out. All this stuff mm-hmm. that I don't really do but have been tempted to do. But yeah, there's a lot of like, yeah, that would be probably fun like twice and I, I probably wouldn't do it more than that. Yeah, well, this is, I think, the thing I'm trying to convey about matcha is, like, matcha is almost like a sacrament. Oh. More than it is. Like, it's like if you're, like, a wine guy, and you're like, oh, yeah, like, I really like a Malbec, you know, or, like, a Chianti, um, or communion wine. (laughs) That's my other favorite, is communion wine. I really enjoy the blood of Christ. Um, That's one of my favorites. You're like, all right, word, I mean... It's kind of like a gross concept. Uh, <laughs> That's funny, dude. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big matcha head is all I'm saying. Um, Daniel. I like a thin tea. Japanese stuff. Uh, so mm-hmm. I also want to buy a futon, a Japanese futon, a shiki futon. A Japanese futon. Yeah. And not an American futon. Right. Okay, cool. Um, and because I, I sleep on the ground on this freaking yes. hiking pad. And I'm like, I think what I need is just a Japanese futon. Um, uh-huh. And pillow for your neck. And I mean, I just figure I could use my own pillow. What kind of pillow do you use? Uh, I don't know. It's it's a pretty firm. It's like a supposed to be like an ergo pillow, neck pillow. It's supposed to be a I cervical would pillow. strongly suggest that you try a Japanese like barley pillow. Yeah, they did. Buckwheat or whatever that yeah yeah the, on the sites like the japanese futon sites it's kind of like here's i would the say, sleep like, system you need a you need a futon you need the like cover thing for it you need you need the the tiki what what is it the the ground like pad yeah so there's a ground pad and then there's so there's like an under futon right um which is kind of like a rigid foam that holds its shape yep that is trisected so it like folds up and this into for the thirds. listener to what you should picture is if you picture like a Japanese tea house or something, that thing on the ground that's like bamboo laden. Like it looks like you could roll it up kind of. It just looks very, I don't know, at least pictures I've seen. I didn't live in Japan, but I, what you're saying, yeah, like a tri-folded pad, like foam-ish, but they have like like a border, like a black-ish border, right? And then Oh, you're talking about tatami. Tatami, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, tatami is, so that is, I don't think of that as like a, item that is just what the floor is made out of okay gotcha in in like traditional japanese houses right so it's like a straw it's a straw mat yeah that your floor is made out of and it is slightly padded you're supposed to put this under a futon because it like airs it out gives a little extra padding Uh uh-huh yeah yeah okay so you're talking about something else yeah so the the traditional japanese sleep system is you've got your tatami room right Mm -hmm. and then you've got uh sort of your under pad which is depending on like how hardcore you are okay anywhere between like an inch and a half and like three and a half inches thick okay that's, that's right pretty- and it's it's like a it's a like a firm foam 
Okay. Right? Yep. So it's like the, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like a phone that holds its shape. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Um, and it folds into thirds, but it's the same size as your futon. Okay. But it folds into thirds so that, like, you can put it in the closet. Okay. Um, and then there's your top futon. Yeah. Which is uh, floppy. So you should think of your futon as uh, as basically like the heaviest comforter in the world, right? It's like a right. very heavy comforter yep. mattress yep, right. that sits on top of the actual foam like absorbent pad. And so that's what you sleep on. Yep. And then you have this like, yeah, uh, buckwheat. Um, like husk pillow, which has no give whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you like just kind of nestle your head into it, and you like kind of shift the buckwheat around until your head is in the position you want, and then it supports it from all directions. You know what yep. I'm saying? So yeah, that's the traditional Japanese sleep system. Um, have you did like did you know people who I slept on a futon my whole childhood? Okay, that and th- so you slept on that setup. Yes. And is that is that like the standard in Japan? Yes, 100%. Okay. So they don't have box springs and mattresses like we do. It's more common now. So like there's like IKEA now in right, Japan. Okay. But like before that shit existed, like I remember like there was like kind of this like young hip couple who like lived like a couple doors down from yep. us and I went into their house one time and they had a bed. Uh. I was like, "Oh, wild." <laughs> but like did your parents they were like kind of like westernized yeah my parents slept on a futon everyone i knew well that's not true some of my like more american-y friends didn't sleep on futons but like every japanese person i knew slept on a futon so it seems to me like this is the perfect sleep system um because like i said i kind of do like they're good at a lot of version of it right now and i roll up my bed every morning and i shove it in the closet Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I like it for for a lot of reasons, but like primarily it's like, I think mattresses, although provide you with more comfort, they just provide you with more physical problems than, than anything. And it's like, yeah. And comfort is depends on what you mean by comfort. There is something very comfortable about sleeping on something soft, but yeah, extremely firm. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I, I, I have like, I definitely get used to it. So I've slept on this for the past like eight months now. And Mm -hmm. the times when I like sleep in the bed, it is euphoric. Like it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this thing is just hugging you. You're in heaven. But then you don't. It's like a hotel bed or whatever. Yeah. And then you don't miss it when you're, I don't know. I don't think about it. You go back to just sleeping, you know, whatever. So I could totally do it. I could, you know, do the futon life, I'm pretty sure, just fine. And I, I think it would be preferred. So anyway, I guess, okay, question. Why don't you sleep on a futon, Daniel? Why do you have a mattress? I honestly, so since I moved back to America for the last time, when I was 17, I moved into a house that had a bed, and then I went to college, and I had a bed. Then I got out of college. You know, I just like, you keep getting beds. Yeah. I don't know. It's never like there's never been a moment where I was like deciding between a bed and a futon. Yeah, it's just kind of the natural thing to have sure. a bed. And and the futon is like much less expensive than a bed. Oh yeah, you know what is expensive is 
building a tatami room but i have... really want to build a tatami okay room. Uh, daniel this is great because these are the questions like i want to and i have yeah. never lived in japan and i'm like so how come daniel the doesn't problem have is you're like gonna need all to this, get... these like japanese you know remnants around your house like we have some we have a lot uh, but like um but go on this is not our final resting place yeah. this home so like i think when we land somewhere where it's like this is where we're gonna raise our kids yeah. like there are two things that i really want to do to my home one is like i would love to have a tatami room yep that is like a moonshot you know um but two is i would love a ofuro okay which is like a japanese bath oh okay tell me. how do you spell this o f u r o ofuro it just means bath Tab. in japanese oh look at this okay so it's like a but mini bath it's so it is uh shorter yeah like tip to toe right it is much deeper Yep. Than a bath. So I, being the size that I am, can sit in it and have water up to my chin. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if I like kind of scrunch down a little bit, I can be like fully submerged. And like you sit in it and you kind of bring your knees up to your chest a little uh -huh. bit. Like, so it's not designed for like laying down yeah. like an American bathtub is. Right. It's like, and they're hot. And they, there's automation systems, Caleb. The Japanese plumbing automation systems are insane. <laughs> okay. Do tell. You're, you're familiar with like underfloor radiant heat? I am. The concept? Yep. Okay. So imagine that like that system that just like pumps water through your home was like fully integrated into your kitchen sink and your toilet and your bathtub and in the kitchen and the bathroom you had control panels for your hot water system wow and so what what you do if you have a family in japan so the, the ofuro is in a room it's often tiled but it's it's definitely waterproof it's a waterproof room okay that has a drain in the floor. Um, and there's oh, a shower on the wall. Okay. And a little stool and some buckets. And so what you do is you get you naked and you go into the room and you close the door and it's steamy as fuck. Yep. Right? And then you sit on the stool and you take the shower like on a hose type of thing and you like wash your body off. Right? Yeah. So you wash your hair. You wash your body, you rinse, you rinse hot, then you rinse cold. It's like a whole process, right? Okay. But you get all the shit out of you. Huh. So you are not a dirty boy. Yeah. Then you turn to the bathtub uh -huh. and you remove the cover from the bathtub that has been laying over the top of the bathtub to keep it from getting cold. Huh. But also within the bathtub, there is a system that detects the ambient temperature of the bathtub and recirculates hot water to keep it at a constant temperature all the time. Okay. So you set the temperature that you want your bath to be, yep. and you fill the bathtub before dinner. Okay. And the bathtub stays full maybe for f two days. Okay. Some people 
empty it every day. Yeah. Some people empty it every couple days. Uh-huh. Um, and everyone in the family showers and then uses the same bath water. But it doesn't matter because you're clean. You're super clean before you get in the bath. Uh. Um, and there's water circulating and filtering constantly. So it's not like just, it's not like you're like sitting in someone's used bath water. Because <laughs> it does sound that way. It's clear. Like it stays clear right. and clean the whole time. So why do you use, well, what's the purpose of the bath if you already cleaned? Uh, to chill out, to relax, okay. uh, to open your pores and close them. There's a whole, the Japanese bath science around like the order of like, opening and then reclosing and then reopening your pores okay it's very joe rogan with like yeah. oh i'm gonna do the cryogenic right. chamber and then like the sauna vibes. you know yeah yeah so they're like they've been on that tip for th- thousands of years right. they know all about it um <laughs> so yeah it's dope interesting dude. Um, so that you had one of these growing up in every house we had and actually well no there's one american house we lived in but Except for that American house, like we had Japanese baths. Funny, dude. This is yeah. wild, man. This, I mean, this it's, definitely it's is so like. Dope. I mean, you know, like a big trend is making these sorts of tubs for ice baths, um, for all that that goodness. But this, I mean, it sounds yeah, like. So a, the, I I googled Ofuro and I'm seeing like a lot of like wooden ones. Yeah. That is not. I mean, there are wooden ones, right. but like that's not the common. Yeah, I figured that it's more like. Um, I see one here that looks like uh, I don't know, it looks like a hot tub, but for a person, like a white thing. Yeah, these are all like very fancy. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining these that. are not like the normal everyman's ofuro. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like here, this is this is what an ofuro looks like. He sent he sends a link. Sending a link to um, the audience. Oh no. Um, Google Images is really punishing me. That's all right. We can just envision a non-sexy mini tall tub. Um, that's wild, Daniel. Daniel, totally yeah. wild. Um, that's very cool. So a tatami room in your house. Uh huh. Like, what are you gonna put in? I it? sent you an image. Is this to meditate? Uh, is this just to live in? Is this like what is? It is a f- multi-purpose room. Um, so it is often the master bedroom okay, and the primary living room okay, and maybe the dining room. Oh, wow. Um, it is like your great room. So the way our house was laid out, yep. like our apartment and the way my parents' apartment now is laid out is there's like a kitchen and then there's like a dining room or something with hardwood floor that kind of like extends into a living room. Yep. Right? And then like along the side of that are like big Japanese paper doors. Yep. That if you slide them open, reveal a tatami room. Nice. So they have a tatami so like room. They're open all day during the day. Yep. And so like the tatami room and the living room just kind of blend into one another. Yep. And so like you're sitting in the tatami room doing your thing. Someone else is sitting in the living room on the couch and you're just having a conversation. Like it's all one room. Okay. But then at night, there, so there's a closet, a Japanese closet with the sliding doors and shit. Okay. And in that closet is my parents' futon. Mm. 
and their clothes and all their other shit. Yeah. And so then at night, uh, they close the doors to the tatami room. Yep. And they pull the futon out of the closet and set it up and go to sleep. Come on. And then uh, in a lot of, we had a dining room table. So we ate at the dining room table. But in a lot of Japanese households, they also will have a sm- like a low to the ground table right. in the tatami room uh, that they eat at. And in the winter, there's something called a kotatsu. This is another Japanese invention that I would love to have in my home. Okay. So a kotatsu is a coffee table, basically. It's like a coffee table height table. Yep. Um, but it's like a frame and then a tabletop. And the tabletop lifts off of the frame. Okay. okay? And on the underside of the frame is like a heater element. Okay. Um, and so what you do is you drape this big comforter over the frame huh. and then put the tabletop on top. Okay. And then everyone sits there and sticks their legs under the comforter in this like heated bubble. Wow. Because there's a heater under there. So it's in the winter. It's cold. Yep. You might have like a kerosene heater. You don't have central heat. Right. Right. So you've got like a kerosene heater, so, but it's like the room is cold. Yep. And you're eating like a hot miso soup or something and your legs are under this like bubble of warmth from the table while you're eating and like sometimes you get too hot and you gotta take your legs out you know or whatever they put them back in this is bizarre so you sit on the ground with your sitting on the ground you're sitting on the ground on something called a zabuton uh which is the buton is the same as futon so it's basically like a butt futon zabuton so okay zabuton yep uh, which is basically just like a little, uh, like a little, yeah, a little pad, a little, little pad that you would sit on. Yeah, it's like a pillow. Um, so you're sitting on a zabuton on your tatami floor uh, with your legs under a kotatsu, and kotatsu would be K-O-T-A-T-S-U. Let's see if we can find a kotatsu. Oh yeah, first thing, kotatsu heating table on Amazon. That is it. It's a tabletop with like a giant comforter. Are you seeing this? No. Sending you the link. Tabletop. Japan has a lot of lifestyle techniques that America just is unaware of. So, oh my gosh, Daniel, this is nuts. See, it's only 190 bucks. Dude, that's what I'm saying. And you live in Buffalo, dude. You should have this. I'm freezing all the time. Yeah. Um. Okay. Daniel, we need to talk, Daniel. We need to talk. So, dude, I, okay, so I mean, this is like my fantasy. My fantasy, and it always has been. Like, Uh I've always been into Chinese, Japanese, more specifically Japanese culture, but not in like any real meaningful way. Just in a like, I have always had like a little Zen garden in my room. Um, Always just kind of dug like, you know, just the whatever the aesthetic and the, the aesthetic meditative um, approach to everything exactly like that whole yeah. bit like um i had like a you know like a rice papery kind of lamp like growing like i always was into it not and, and not like the culture in the sense that i like i was never into anime 
or anything like that. Same. But more into like, you know, I love The Last Samurai. That was like my favorite movie forever. Mm-hmm. So the most like American. <laughs> I'm sure you've watched some Japanese joinery videos. Absolutely. I have a Japanese yeah. pull saw. Like, you know, like I just totally yeah, yeah, yeah. dig everything about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so this like futon fantasy that I was just kind of like exploring and and looking at the like the, I would love a, like at our botanical gardens in Buffalo we have like a Japanese tea house with the rice papery walls or whatever you call them the sliding doors and the and whatever and there's like a bonsai I used to get into bonsai I took bonsai classes I so I've always been like into it um mm-hmm. but I have two questions so the first one is like so I I want to live out this fantasy in like the biggest yes. way which would be like making one of these rooms you're describing um i mean yes. i was fantasizing about turning my office i'm like could i just turn my office into one of these rooms and like you could it would not be cheap but you could do it. okay um so my my biggest question is i mean ultimately i don't think i care what anyone else thinks but is there any form of like appropriation or something that's like weird or dumb or lame or bad about like an American bloke recreating having a tatami his room? fantasy like Japanese culture absorption feels? I don't think so. And I promise you the Japanese people would not care. Mm-hmm. Japanese people from Japan. Yeah. There may be some Japanese Americans who would care. Yeah. But like Japanese people from Japan would fucking love okay. it. Okay. Nice um especially like if you had the full set of like tatami room futon kotatsu and an ofuro and you're like living that life like uh that is like that's the full monty dude like they would fucking eat that shit up that's so dope i so okay why is it so expensive so i'm looking at tatami panels right now yep I'm looking at nine by nine tatami room kit from this weird company is like twelve hundred dollars. But when I've priced it before, it's more like a f- six foot by three, six foot by two and a half foot panel is kind of the normal size and shape okay. of a panel. Yep. Of tatami, and I remember them being like over a thousand dollars a panel. Oh my gosh, dude, that's insane. So. Like, I would assume that you would be dropping, like, you know, if you're looking at doing, like, a 14 by 12 room yeah. or something, like, I'm thinking you're looking at dropping, like, 8 to 10 grand on tatami panels. Oh, my land, dude. That's and insane. it's not that expensive. I mean, they're not cheap in Japan, but, like, they're the good ones are getting made in Japan and brought here. Yeah. You know? So, like, you're paying some overhead dude so i mean that's yeah that is wild it question um how do you like you know my, my my first thought is okay you're sitting on the floor all the time i have the tightest hamstrings in the world i can't even sit on the ground and like outstretch my legs you know flat because you super get used to it okay like you would just get used you just to just get it. used to it and and like your your neck and back and is this like I imagine this all has to be better for your body. Um, it is for sure. But but my initial reaction is like, you know, like man, I feel like this would all hurt a lot. You know. Yeah. Um, but you you just get used to it. You sit on the ground all the time, and it's like fine. Like you're not slouching. Constantly. Yeah, I mean, like I never got like 
I didn't sit on the ground constantly. Yeah. Like they do. Yeah. But like I did sit on, I did all of my, not all of my homework, but I did probably most of my homework at a table on the ground in my bedroom. Okay. So I had a little folding ground table. Yeah. So I would just like pop a Zabuton down in my bedroom and work on this table yeah. uh, and just like do my math homework or whatever. Yeah. Hunched over this little table, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like that's kind of the, that's the move. See, now I'm finding them kind of cheaper. Dude, these it's time to mats. reboot the passion. J Life International. Yeah, J Life. That's where com. I was looking at the shiki futons. That's like tatami mask kind of like affordable but still japanese like source okay so see i'm i'm seeing uh oh so these mats are literally interesting these mats are like shaped to american mattress sizes yeah the futons are basically as well you can get like a king futon essentially yeah so nine by nine what is the nine by nine tatami room kit that's the thing i don't understand because basically what you want to do, right, is like, so the way like our tatami room was when I was a kid is there was about 20 inches of wood around the, around three of the edges of the room. Okay. So the edge that bordered on the living room didn't have the wood. Yeah. It's just like the living room went right up against the tatami. Yeah. But the tatami is flush with the floor. Yeah. It's not like you're stepping up onto the tatami. Oh. Um, and then along the edges, there was like a strip, Step like down. 20 inches wide, of wood. Yeah. And that allows you to put dressers there uh, or put a lamp there yeah. or something that you don't want to like dent your tatami. Right. So often there will be like some wood around the edge of the room mm. so that you can put like some furniture or whatever in the room. Yeah. Um, so I think what you would want to do if you were going to make a tatami room is, uh, you would just lay the tatami mats down, um, and then you would basically leave a strip around the edge of the room and then you would like somehow get like flooring shimmed up to the level of the tatami and like lay that around. Uh, and then the only problem you're going to have is the door jam. Yeah, uh, just shave the door. Where you'd have to do something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. Transition plate kind of deal. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daniel. But now that I'm seeing these prices, like, it seems like you could actually maybe do it for like a couple grand. That would be dope. Done. Be so deal. Dope, um, Daniel, yeah, we got to do it. Got to do it. And I'm, I'm just glad to have a, a, a true Japanese man's approval. Yeah. Thoroughbred. Through and through. I so interesting story. I am now thirty one years old. Is that right? Which means I have now been in America more than I've been in Japan. Wow. Okay. We've crossed a border because I was there for fifteen years. Crazy dude. You're yeah. super American, dude. Um, can we briefly touch on Switch Swiss Army knives, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll my other touch on latest it. thing. Are you into Swiss Army knives? Uh, I have been into Swiss Army knives. More recently, I'm into like single bladed knives. Okay. Yeah, I'm away from single bladed knives. Okay. To never return. Never. Yeah, never ever. Never. What kind of uh, single bladed knives? Like particular um, brands or just? Whatever. I have I painted over the brand and I forget what it was. It starts with a K. Kershaw. 
Kershaw, yeah. yeah. Nice. It's this nice little like all metal Kershaw knife, like a paraframe black kind of thing. Yeah, but it's like not it's not like skeletonized right, okay. like yep. it's like a full yep. metal nice sidewall. Cool. Super sharp, super small, comfy, thin, low profile. I love yep. it. Yep. Dope. Yeah, and that is I think it was like 80 bucks. Nice. I, Kershaws are nice. I have one sitting right over there. Um but uh Swiss Army knives, dude. So a Van Nice stat, you know, my guru for 2023. He sure. uh, he's all about the Swiss champ, and he's got like a whole video on like gold gilding your Swiss champ, and like it's just whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like just kind of as a goofy ism. I'm like, I mean, I love Swiss Army knives. I have a handful of them that I've gotten at garage sales and such. Dude, I watched his video on gifting. Oh yeah, really good, right? Oh, so good. Yeah. What are the three tenets of gifting? It's like it has to be customized. It can it can be right. Okay. Expensive. Expensive. Or something you made okay or thoughtful okay it's like i think those are the ones made thoughtful and nice yeah made thoughtful and nice that's what it was okay so you can get someone and you have to do two right you have to do two. i think yeah so you can get something that's like real that you made that's really thoughtful yeah and it doesn't have to be that nice right or that you made and it's really nice it doesn't have to be particularly like well suited to the person or something that's really nice and really thoughtful then it doesn't have to be something you made. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that video for sure. And I, I tried to sort of do that. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but I like, I got my sister a record player for her new apartment um, with a record, like a record that her and I both love and like share together as like a love or a like at least. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I, whatever I like inscribed the the date um, at the bottom of the record player and like boxed it back up so it that would be I guess thoughtful and nice I wouldn't call it made but it was mm-hmm. still like a Van Neistat ism like and my like uh, dude the Presto pen like that's a Van Neistat ism got the Presto pen got the and Presto. just yesterday I was like what temperature are you supposed to brew oolong at you know and so I just like googled it and uh, so I on the bottom of my guy well, one there you go like, put you pressed all the prestoed all the different temperatures for different types oh of tea. And you've got the little kanji for tea there Chop. yeah okay dude i mean and then i started going down the whole rabbit hole of like chinese characters and they're so dope and uh-huh. so cool that literally like they're just composed of other characters like this is like radicals. tree yeah radicals uh-huh. tree person and leaves which is uh-huh. tea and it's so 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 cool man mm-hmm. super cool um it, dude we're going all over the place, but a, a tattoo I've always wanted. I, Kevin Rose, my idol. Uh-huh. He, remember his tattoo when he got a tattoo, his arm I tattoo. Don't. It's like right here. I don't remember. Like right in here, and it's the I forget the guy's name, but the father of tea from Japan and Kyoto, okay. like that guy. He has okay. him like here, and it's really badass, and it's like huge nice. and just awesome, and I. I think you should get a tatami room before you get a Japanese tattoo. <laughs> But or it wouldn't even have to necessarily be Japanese. But I think that like even just like a Camellia sinensis plant or some yeah, yeah, some yeah. sort of tea tattoo, some tea thing. on this like underarm. Yeah. If I were to get a tattoo, it would be that, and uh, or like just a little teacup, like a <sighs> maybe like I, I, a nice Japanese teacup. You know? Yeah, that'd be cool. That would be cool. The cups would be are cool. nice. Cups are nice. Yeah, I I just kind of got this like glass double walled cup because I like the the double wall mm-hmm. and the whatever it's pretty. but yeah it's not very traditional or anything um 
but yeah, dude, Kevin Rose, man, I've always Kevin like Rose. been like I just big want... crypto guy now, <laughs> which is so funny. Huge crypto guy. That's really funny. But I still, you know, yeah. he just did a random show with Tim Ferriss, and I have it queued up. I haven't watched it yet, but he's nice. I watched a little bit of it. He's still the same Kevin Rose. He's still. I just want to hear more from him. Always. So I'll save this for another time. Yep. But I have been allowing myself to engage a little bit, a little tiny bit. And a little bit of hustle culture content. Oh, Daniel. Daniel. I'm not, not, I'm, not Daniel. To, I'm not prepared to cover the topic yet. Throw at me a couple YouTubers. There might be a podcast I've been listening to. Joe Rogan. No, no. Well, I have actually listened to one or two recent Rogan episodes, but that's not. Right. I wouldn't that, call yeah, that okay, okay, content. okay. That's just bro culture yeah, yeah, content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, although I... Uh, I've been playing. Oh, dude! Here's something we have to talk about. I'm sorry to totally take us everywhere. I've been playing poker a lot. Oh. Um, I have always loved poker. Okay. And I've been in this monthly-ish tournament game. Right. For a you while. Got poker dude friends with and... some friends. Yeah. And I win so much. Really. Of the time, like as a tournament, right? Yeah. So we have three places get paid. Yep. Uh, third place just gets one buy-in back. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's a twenty-dollar buy-in. Yep. So third place usually gets twenty dollars back, unless there's a lot of money in the pot, they'll get forty dollars back. Yeah. And then the rest of the money usually gets like kind of sixty forty or seventy thirty sure. between one and two. One and two. The number of times that I have not been in the top three in that game is like astronomical. Wow. So I I'm like way up on that game. Okay. And it's tournament, and like I have some beliefs about why I'm good at that game. Okay. Um, and I've always thought that the way that I play poker in that game would not be particularly well suited to playing in a cash game. Okay. Um, I have had the opportunity to have that tested because I was invited by a friend to go to his home cash game. Okay. And they play weekly. So like, and a cash game I is went when from, you buy however many chips you want for as long as you want with cash, like in a casino. Uh, yeah. So the cash game is like, you're not like playing for like different ranks in the tournament with structured payouts. Right. It's like the chips you have represent money, yes, and you can buy more of and them. And when you take them off the table, you, you take the amount of money that you have right, in chips right, off right. the table. Yes, yeah, like a casino. And usually there's like some etiquette about like, don't just like win a huge hand and then walk away with all the chips uh-huh. you know like you're kind of like if you get up pretty pretty much you have to like give people a chance uh-huh. to try and win some of that money right back. right right you know yeah. so if you're up you kind of need to stick around until other people are okay. ready to be done yeah you know yep um but anyway um okay so you're trying so playing in a weekly cash game cash game i'm playing a weekly cash game uh-huh. and uh the first week I got fucking brutalized. Okay. Uh, the How next much were week, you out so, on that day? 160. Okay. So I lost like 160 bucks. Next week I got brutalized for less. Okay. I was down like 100 the second uh-huh. week. Third week, I'm down 60. Okay. Right? Yep. Fourth week, I'm down 30. Okay. Fifth week, up thirty. I'm up ninety. Up ninety. Up ninety. So it's like constantly moving in the right direction, and I'm like, just like 
studying cash games, studying like just stuff. Yeah. Opening ranges, uh, how to play different types of players. Mm. Um, I've there's regulars at this game. It's not always the same crew. Yeah. Like there's people who sub in and out. Okay. But like if there's nine people there, I've played with six of them before. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I'm g- developing a sense for how the different people play. Yeah. I'm developing a sense for how they think I play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like we're now like not just playing the like cards. We're also playing the like how the they think game. I'm playing and how yeah. I think they're playing and all of that stuff. Um, and it's so fucking fun. And then last week I got brutalized again. Okay. But, uh, but I am having such a blast. Nice. I'm get Yeah. Like I just like, I just feel myself getting better mm-hmm. at like a much more rapid rate. Like I don't think tournaments are, I don't think tournaments are a good way to learn poker. Yeah. I think tournaments are a good way to like weak huh. tournaments with weak players are a good way to win money uh-huh. in poker. Yeah. But the, I don't think they necessarily make you better at poker at nearly the same rate per hand that you play. Why is that? Uh, because the just the stakes are the lower results on... are kind of abstracted yeah, right. away from your real decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, so in tournament poker, there's something called ICM, uh, which is the individual chip model. Okay. Uh, which basically like equates like the value of like how how much like based on like how many chips you have and how many people are still in the tournament and how close you are to the bubble which is like where you start getting paid yeah like the the rank at which you start getting paid like there's times where like you should be opening really wide like meaning you should be like playing way more hands okay and like playing really I like see. loose aggressive yeah. and going all in for almost anything yeah. um, for lots of reasons. Either because you're like way up and you're just trying to bully people yep. because you know that they can't call you. Right. Because um, they don't want to, they can't bust out and you yep. have them covered. So if they, if you lose, you're still in the tournament. If they lose, they're not. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's like mm. uh, big stack bullying right. strategies. Then there's like small stack strategies where you also go all in for almost anything. Uh, or not for almost anything. You go all in a little bit less, but you uh, you n- never do anything else. So you either fold or go all in, Okay, basically, yep. when you're a small stack. So anyway, that's like ICM. And it's very, like, it's a layer on top of like regular poker strategy. Where like a chip is a chip and a hand is a hand. Yep. You know? Yep. Cash games, it's like you're and also in a tournament, the blinds are going up over time. Right, right. Um, which means that like and people are busting out, so the table is getting smaller, so the odds are changing constantly. Mm. So like it it's not constant. Whereas like if you sit down and play six hours of poker at the same buy-in with the same people, like you get to see hundreds of hands uh. and you get to like play them and you know, like you just get like, it's like a much more consistent baseline to study. Yep. And no more, no, none of these variables are moving. It's just like a solid baseline for you to analyze. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm having a fucking blast. That's, that's pretty sweet. 
that's yeah. pretty sweet that's uh i found this website called gto wizard okay which is like a training website yeah um that just like you can tell it like what you want to practice so you want to say like okay i want to practice like opening ranges in the button what's the button or on the button the button is like when you're the dealer okay it's like uh, the yeah. best position to be in at the table okay is you, it means you act last right, which right, means you right, get to right. see what everyone else is doing before yeah. you um so you say i want to practice opening ranges on the button yeah so it's just going to deal you hands and, and then decide if you're in on it or not well and then the other players are going to play rationally okay they're all fake right, players right. right but the other players are going to play rationally yeah. based on what they have yeah. and then you have to respond rationally mm. as the button and so it gives you three options which is like three bet call or fold yeah you know and so like these different so you just practice and practice and practice and you just do like you can do a thousand hands in like you know 20 minutes yep. or whatever mm -hmm. and then it gives you percentages and it tells you what sorts of hands you tend to overvalue and what sorts of hands you tend to undervalue oh. and it like it just like really lets you like tighten up on your instincts right. it's really that's good. pretty cool dude yeah that's I'm sweet man you uh you should call up dan sheets Get a game oh, game. I've been talking to Jan Sheets. Don't of worry. Course. Yeah, we've been talking he, about this. He like tied it into some Titan spiel once about like uh, it's an infinite infinite game, game yeah. Which would, like a tournament is not an infinite like that's sort of a, a difference that right. you're describing. It's like a cash game. Well, like no, you can be a tournament player and play an infinite game. It's just that like it's not like one hand to the next. Sure. It's just like one, one tournament, tournament to the, to the next. next. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool, man. I I've played poker, you know, on and off randomly, but never seriously and never at any like big thing. And I I don't know, it's always fun. I both suck and don't suck, but I I would definitely suck around good good people, of course. But it's fun. I don't know. Yeah, I have like kind of no interest in like like I want to become the best player in this game. That's my current goal. Yeah. It's like I want to consistently leave that game with money. Oh, the cash game, the cash yeah, game. Yep. Right, because like now I'm down whatever, like three hundred yep. bucks on that game. Right. So like, right now I'm just trying to crack these ten people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you great. know, and like I've, I just want to be the best of these ten people. Yeah, that's like my current. That's goal. great. I, I need so like the the game in my life is pool. Um, yeah, Mitch has the pool table, and he's better than me. He, by quite a bit it's infuriating it's infuriating isn't it yeah and it well it's like i've just sort of resigned to this this like well he will always be better than me and i will always be worse than him and both of us will get better but i we mm -hmm. will get better at the same rate or you know what i mean it's just i never yeah. consider like being better than mitch which i should consider and i should go after yeah well like that would be There's great. There's a pretty I good chance that Mitch is not doing but... a lot of research. Yeah, some. T I mean, right now, probably not. Yeah, there have been times where he so has. So I could that's do more a, research. That's an opportunity. That's true. It's like you could go study angles and yeah. types of shots. Yeah, that's true. And types of breaks yep. and different strategies for how to leave yeah. or whatever the fuck people do, yeah. right? And like you might not – like he might be like shooting more balls than you because he has a table yeah, in his he house. he definitely just shoots balls every day. But like Random you can make up for that advantage in other ways. Yeah. Yeah, it is tricky. He's, he's a, a formidable uh, competitor Opponent. in basically yeah. everything. And in, in most things, I don't really – I think I've just given up on being better than him at 
things that aren't programming maybe not that i'm better than him at pro but you know what i mean like things that aren't like yeah. that like actual skill type things i'm just like yeah he'll just be better at me than better than me at everything um but yeah i mean with pool he's and it seems simple and i think i i think i have this constraint with most things like with smash it's sort of the same thing um i do this in smash i have the same tendency in both pool and smash and most games one is i i get caught up in the in just the playing the game and not not just next level thinking like in smash it's like mm-hmm. instead of you know play a mind game or whatever or like instead of go mm-hmm. basically i i get into like subconscious mode a lot and so i'm decent mm-hmm. in smash and that's just because i've played so much that my my just but subconscious you, you play playing i play on autopilot a lot and i do that with most games and it's like so the path mm-hmm. for me to get better at anything is to just do it a lot and then my autopilot gets better but where like mitch is constantly he's just engaged on another level constantly with everything where it's like you know he, he he'll make a sh- like this happens all the time he makes a shot and he goes he goes like shit you know and and it's like oh because his because he didn't set himself up perfectly for the next shot exactly next how he shot. wanted yeah, yeah. you know where yeah, i yeah. i'm happy to make a shot most of the time but yeah, yeah. anyway so and and as soon as he starts making as soon as he gets better at you know like setting up for the second one he will say shit about the next level of like thing always whatever it's just next level playing with everything and uh, so yeah. like in poker it's not a totally solved game but it's like pre it, so chess is completely solved right um poker is not completely solved um heads up no limit hold'em is solved so had two people like 1v1 no limit hold'em okay. is completely solved okay so the computer like can always be i see okay um there's an optimal way to play that okay um and then it's pr- mostly solved up to six-handed. Okay. No limit hold up. Yep. Uh, and there's like, there's like a pretty good intuition of how you're supposed to play most situations. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of data from online poker sites that you can study sure. and all this stuff. But if you just play like straightforward poker, right? Yeah. And like, you know, bet when you have it and fold What's when you don't have poker? it. What's straightforward poker? What do you mean? Like not uh, Texas Hold'em, you mean? No, no. Texas. I mean, it's the you're still playing Texas Hold'em, but I'm saying you're playing it straightforwardly. Okay. Where like you're betting when you have it, you're yeah. folding when you don't have it, yeah. you're bluffing some sure. prescribed percentage of the time. Yes. Um, you, like people will pick up whether you play too tight or too loose. Yep. Right? And then they'll start to punish you for that. Yep. And so, like, what happens with me is, like, I can go on autopilot and just start playing really, like, just really straightforward. Uh-huh. Where, like, I'm just betting when I have it. Right, and folding when right. I don't yeah, have exactly it, you know? right. It's... And, like, uh, like in poker, you, you might just call it, like, nitty. Like, being a nit is someone who, like, okay. who just, like, if you bet big into them, they're going to fold if yeah. they don't have the nuts, right, you know? Right, yeah. Um. So like I'll just start playing like really nitty, yeah, um, and then I'll catch myself playing that way, and then I'll just like bluff three hands in a row, right. just to be like yeah. just to like offset it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So I don't know. It, that's just like I, I catch myself going on autopilot in poker, and so then I just like have to like I have to be like okay, well all that matters is the average, right? Yeah. So like if I just like play three bluff hands in a row right now, right. 
like you know or like bluff the next three marginal hands that i get yep then like that'll make up for mm. you know the last 45 minutes where i just like folded too much right or right right yeah which is not exactly true right but you know that's another good example that's also definitely of course a good example of like the, the autopilot version in poker is just betting when it makes sense and folding when it doesn't make sense yeah, and yeah. not not playing the metagame of like getting people to think you're looser than you are you know pulling the rug out and not thinking about who they are and how they tend to act yeah right like yep. you want to identify who yeah, the nit is so that you can bully them. right yep totally. you know like yeah that's yeah. definitely um i mean with i identify with that with smash more than like pool or something but definitely it's like i don't know even things like um i, I do stupid things like if i if i get an edge you know if there's like some something that is clearly i can kind of spam and and mm-hmm. like in this current situation i can do this over and over and punish you just you know whatever I, I ride that wave too far, you know, where it's like, sure, keep that in your back pocket and don't spam them yeah. to death so that they are so tuned into it. And then you lose that. Yeah, yeah. Like not only just keep it in your back pocket so that they don't realize how much of like an advantage it is, but also keep it in your back pocket so that you don't just like basically do it. Just rely on it beyond its utility, which I do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And then even, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's like, cause like it Yoshi. That I played a lot of Yoshi. Yeah. I love right. Yoshi. And like the Yoshi, like the Yoshi cycle is just like you ground stomp and then you edge watch and then you ground stomp and then you edge watch mm-hmm. and then you ground stomp and then you edge watch, you know? Um, but like, if you just do that, you're going to get grabbed every time you down, you ground stomp, you know? Yeah. There's a uh, Yoshi's, um, his up tilt is like fantastic. Like I just kind of discovered that, that it's, um, up tilt, uh, like up a, yeah. Up tilts are yeah. when they're like half, you know? Okay. Um, instead of being like a smash hit or whatever, it's just sure, like sure, a sure. kick. Um, mm-hmm. When he uses his tail, and it's like mm-hmm. it's just brutally effective. Um, but I, I just like I guess I just always go for that like so heavily that that the opponent wises up and is just constantly like scared of their underside being exposed. So which is still yeah, it's yeah. fine. Like it is a really still really effective. But I don't know. Just that's just like a Yoshiism of mine. It's like. Well, A, I have to get better at up-tilting, jumping, and up-tilting again without touching the ground, which my instinct... I, I'm getting better at, like, chasing people, but I still, like, need to touch the ground for a second and then get back to them, where, like, you know, good players, they tilt, jump, mm-hmm. tilt, and they're just... Ch- they, like, juggle you in midair off the map, you know? Whatever, I don't there's, know. Um, there's this Rocket League player named Flakes, and he did this series called... Uh, getting to Grand Champ with no mechanics. What are mechanics? So Grand Champ is Grand Champ is the highest rank okay. in Rocket League, um, and mechanics are like so. Rocket League is like a fully physics simulator game, yeah. so you can just like do shit. You can make your car do weird shit, right. and like people have found like weird interactions between the car and the ball that do certain types of unpredictable. Sure, like, like wave dashing and de- smash. Wave dashing, um, aerials ceiling shots like all this crazy shit right Uh and like if you watch like really flashy rocket league play like it's all those heavy mechanics yeah so he's doing he did this series called getting to grand champ with no mechanics Mm. um where he just plays like he doesn't know how to do anything yeah like he rarely aerials at all oh he just drives around 
And most of his gameplay is doing nothing in a way that is safe. Okay. And letting them overextend and get fucked up and then punishing them for it. And, like, I've started implementing that into my Rocket League game a little Uh bit. And when you find someone who's, like, really aggressive and is, like, punishing you, and you might get, if it's, like, a 1v1 game, like, you might get down, like, 4-0 in the first minute. And you're like, fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. But then I'll just, like, switch play styles and I'll go from, like, playing really aggressive to doing this, like, really, like, baity like yeah make them come hit the ball right thing and just make sure that they're hitting it into you yep. um and it's like it's crazy if people lose their minds they get mm. so pissed nice because <laughs> like you'll have possession of the ball and like you just slow the game way the fuck oh. down you're not dribbling into them you're not trying to shoot you're just kind of like gliding the ball gently towards their net slowly and like daring them to come challenge you because as soon as they flip towards the ball you're just going to cut they're going to flip past the ball Mm. and then you're going to drive the ball into their net you know it's just like it's that type of stuff that's cool do you play one-on-one i play ones i've been playing twos heavily with my roommate from college jacob uh he is two ranks ish better than me okay um so we're, we're very close yeah. i've we talked about my yeah. rocket league placement yeah i still have not gotten the champ i'm like right at the edge okay. it's been hard yeah you, you'll get there Daniel. i'll get there don't worry you need to believe yeah but yeah been playing poker been playing rocket league that's good games are good been writing a lot of code Writing a lot of code code's good code's good code's good code's great oh chris and i made our mastodon server oh yeah any.dev Nice. Um, right now it's just his account and my account and one other account that I don't know if it's in use yet or official yet but there's another account um, and uh, yeah it's good stuff great stuff great stuff yeah, man. Mastodon um, yep that is uh, that's great news Daniel um, Daniel we're oh. probably at pretty late here huh Oh, yeah, we should probably roll. What are we at here? Oh, hour and a half? Uh, We've done what worse. are we at? We've done a lot worse. But this is good. Oh, I, I wanted to at least mention the... I got that Monk analog thing. I, I talked about this on the last podcast or my other podcast. But um, you know the like this thing? Um, wooden like to-do list card? Okay. Here? We didn't talk about um, this. Okay. Anyway, it's been rocking my world, Daniel, and I am the king of productivity now. I went from being... Remember on the podcast, we talked about how I'm the worst and all my life is a total mess. Mm-hmm. Everything about my life is like amazing. You right turned now. it around. I turned it around 100%. This is like... Hell yeah. These are just like my to-do list that I do every day. And and there's just... I just have stacks of like done Hell stuff. Yeah. The hipster PDA. Yeah. Yes. Totally. That, that's a Merlin man. The hipster PDA. <laughs> that's funny. The hipster PDA was a stack of index cards and a rubber band. Ah, I like that. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, dude. Cool. Um, yeah, that would work too. But um, anyway, I've just been accomplishing like an absurd amount, which is just great for me. Oh yeah. So. How's the V3 going? Uh, pretty good. I'm. I'm. Uh, Query string is the last big V2. Are you killing it? What's that? Are you killing it? No. I saw that you but might I, be killing well, it. Well, so the, basically, I mean, the well, so first, the, the, the general status report is query string is the last thing that needs to be done to get 
a v2 app working basically um, uh-huh. there's still i still want to revisit a lot of the new v3 functionality like the spa mode navigate thing that's going to be the biggest thing i'm going to be i'm not going to launch until i feel amazing about that yeah like the the request batching and all that stuff well that stuff's all done all that stuff request batching's oh, done. Yeah. that that's the that's the thing that core stuff has been done since like so it's the, it's just one. the navigate stuff that is the all the, the hard stuff you know um well, all the history state and the DOM swapping and the script uh-huh. preservation, re-execution and all that, you know, stuff. I'm There's just a lot of stuff with that. But um, but I'm doing the query string stuff, which we, you know, you know the query string stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm breaking some things. Like, I'm going to make some breaking changes with it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm switching strategies because, you know, the strategy that we had implemented was like construct. Basically, like the back end owns the query string. So, yes. And when the query string up to like in Livewire, if you track a public property in the query string, when that updates, Laravel is the thing that like is like this thing changed. Update the query string, pass the new uh, path to the JavaScript and then have JavaScript updated in the browser. So mm-hmm. Laravel drove all that out. And now I'm switching to a strategy where basically Alpine's going to have its own like plugin to track any data in the query string. And uh, and because a LiveWire component, all of its public properties are a JavaScript object as well, then LiveWire will just use that and be like, hey, Alpine, track this property in the query string. And then Alpine will be like, sure. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. So it'll be purely front-end driven. Yep. What is the... There's an acronym for these JavaScript objects that like Nest uses on their server components. What's the acronym? That Nest next oh next use on server components javascript objects uh so there's this acronym for like f- these javascript objects that can be passed from front end to back end without like rpc trpc rpc yeah trpc okay. that's, that's just like typescript rpc so it's like basically preserving um to my knowledge you're preserving like object and its types in both the front end and the back end and you can call like a backend method. I mean, TRPC is like the fundamental thing behind LiveWire is like, you know, RPC is just the right. concept of, well, I think we've talked about it, but it's like, um, basically it's, it's like there's REST and there's mm-hmm. GraphQL and these sort of protocols for interacting with the backend. And then RPC is literally like calling methods and receiving return values. Like it's just, it's, it's basically right. LiveWire. The thing that's crazy about the JavaScript world, though, is that they, uh, like, you still have to have this translation layer between... Remote procedure call. Sorry. RPC is remote procedure. Technique for building distributed system allows a program on one machine to call a subroutine on another machine. So it's a very straightforward... The the whole Solana API is RPC. That's RPC, right. Um, but, uh, But, yeah, the crazy thing is that, like, you have this, like, whole, like mapping of like how to hydrate these json objects into yeah. php objects right um that they just like don't have somehow and I, that's the part i don't understand about like where where is that like that metadata yeah like the thing getting passed back and forth is a string right like yeah they're passing strings back and forth right and there's some metadata there's some hydration metadata somewhere but it's like not in like user land it's oh, like, like TRPC? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not familiar like, with TRPC enough to know anything, but I would think I would think that the types are I, I don't I would have to look at the network request 
Um, but the types are because like PHP or sorry, backend node and front end JavaScript have in front end TypeScript have types. Like mm-hmm. you could just reference the same type on both and it, it would just, just, cast, it would just JSON cast into the type. Exactly. Yeah. Naturally. It would just yeah. know like this is an array. So it, it would be an array. Yeah. Yeah. Where with obviously that shit is PHP, wild. It's a little harder for like me. it. It would be so nice. Like that is something that I really like about TypeScript that we don't have really in PHP. What's that? Is like, uh, so like we'll have like a like a two like a two JSON method, right? For like a JSON accessible class or something yep. that tells you how to like cast your class to JSON. Yeah. Um, but like if you have an object that has a bunch of public properties, like a a popo that has a bunch of public properties, mm-hmm. like I wish the language would just let me take an associative array with all those properties and like I can cast it to object right and get like yeah, a, an object, object yeah. but I can't cast it to a type of object yeah and get all those properties yeah you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. I mean that'd you could be make so dope if I could to do that you could yeah. make a little utility that would be really easy to make no but I wish that like the, the language casting yeah function let you do that you know what I'm saying yeah. Like how sick would it be to like your Livewire implementation is like you get the JSON and then like you just like set you set that like associative array that you parsed out of the JSON as the value of this typed property on a component and like the type itself just like knows how to hydrate that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's so like... Yeah, I, the type has to know how to hydrate and dehydrate, which is what you know we have like. Uh, no, right. I know. I just wish PHP would like kind of thing. But yeah, no. I wish PHP like had more of this like. Let me just take a STD object or an associative array and like decorate it into a type. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I. I'm I'm definitely feeling better about the hydration dehydration approach in V3, which I think we've talked about. It's like totally recursive, so yeah. it's actually pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah, and it's like would, yeah. But um, so the I I was just writing some live wire code where I had to like wrap a collection in an eloquent collection uh, to make it work. You know, because like I had to do some regular collection shit. Yeah. And then I like I had to make a regular standard collection full of eloquent models. Right. And then in order to get it to like hydrate and dehydrate correctly, I was like, oh, I'll just like turn it into an eloquent collection and then let all the natural magic handle it. Right. Which worked perfectly. Right. Where now it would handle a collection of models. It would handle a collection of collections of collections of eloquent collections of normal collections of models of arrays of whatever. So yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Which is pretty. And there's, so there's gotta be a performance impact because I'm doing it recursively now, but um, you can always just not, use deeply nested rich yeah, that's data up to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you want yeah there's um so so this query string stuff it's going really well and i'm actually pretty pumped about this um i have like an alpine utility created called track and so uh-huh. picture a function called track where so don't even think about livewire alpine just think about you know history state replace state push state yes, whatever push state. this is just a better api for i think you call track Good. You specify a name, which is going to be the the key of that query string parameter, and then you specify an initial value, and then it returns to you um, an object you would destructure that would give you push, replace, and pop. And basically, it's like you just call push anytime you want, 
and pass it a value. You're not passing it a key or anything because that was already passed into the initial track call. So you just, wherever you want, you just push a new value or replace a value and it will do the... I like that you're... I like that you're wrapping up bad native browser APIs. Like yeah. before you know it, you'll you'll have solved why Dom no good. <laughs> why Dom no good, dude? I like actually wrapped up the Dom in a good. I API. know. I'm still trying to figure out a just random fun like tidbit. I I just was like, how much slower is walking a Dom tree than walking a virtual Dom array of data? So I wrote like a quick virtual Dom thing to like turn a Dom pile into a virtual Dom thing. Um, Didn't we just land on it? It depends what you're trying to do. I don't know. I, I've heard that sentiment, but I don't... I think you and I came to that sentiment. Not to just walk a DOM tree versus an array. Like, I think we... Maybe no, we were I talking think about it was diffing like, or... Yeah, I think it was diffing. And it like... Diff patching. Drastically depends like on like... Nested diffs versus non-nested diffs and all that right, stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, or maybe just the, the concept of like where Alpine... Dude, I've been digging, I've been digging deep, I've been digging deep, done. I've been really following the solid JS creator, Ryan Carniato, and the Leptos creator. Um, but just okay. like trying to figure out. So I, I started writing my own solid JS um just framework. Uh I don't know what solid JS is. Oh, it's a framework. It's 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 holds the title of fastest JavaScript framework. Um it's like vanilla JavaScript is the fastest, then um something next to that, and then then solid is the first framework that's the, that's the gotcha. fastest so this is the one that's faster than the like uh rust compiled to web well that's leptos assembly is, is that leptos? leptos is rust compiled to web assembly and okay gotcha. leptos is faster than react and view and everything it's not as fast as solid because it's basically solid but with wasm uh overhead you know with like right. having to call through to the dom um instead of just calling javascript directly um but uh, yeah, so so it's really interesting. Like SolidJS is just interesting, and the architecture is very interesting. But it's it's very kind of close to how I architected Alpine. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's reactive purely. Where like you know like React is, it's just triggering a new virtual DOM tree. Like any any set state or anything you do to like update something, mm -hmm. you're just telling React like, hey go through and create a, a new virtual DOM and then compare it with the mm -hmm. old virtual DOM and then patch those changes. And all the optimizations mm -hmm. are just optimized on top of that. And Vue is the same yeah. thing. It's just Vue, you don't call, you don't manually call set count. There's a reactive library that detects that you changed count and then goes through and rebuilds the whole virtual DOM tree and then diffs and patches it. Um, where like Solid or even Alpine JS is just like, we built the whole thing up once and and then we're just changing and it. then yeah we but we have a dependency tree so when a dependency huh. changes we know we know the side effect and a granular yeah. you know fine-grained he calls it like fine-grained reactivity that's like his fundamental uh -huh. thing and that's how solid can be so fast um because there's have you talked to this guy no but he's speaking at js nation in amsterdam that i'm speaking at uh -huh. and so i'm, I'm you like guys prepping. should talk i know yeah yeah um so like i feel like I feel like you need a JavaScript framework maintainer friend. I do. And I agree. <laughs> you, I, I would love that. This guy sounds like... Here's why it sounds like this is the right guy. Um, he's outside the paradigm. The React He's not view in the thing? React Yeah, he's slightly outside. Of, although it land. is very... 
I mean, it's a JSX component based JavaScript. Sure, sure, sure. But it's full like stack framework. Yeah. But it's not in the like next Vercel yes. right. it's single not in ecosystem. The, the, what would you it's the not remix and it's not JavaScript. It's not next and it's not remix. Yeah, right. Exactly. Basically, you know? Yeah. It's and it's true. not Vue. Yeah. Um, so he's like, you know, independent like you. Yeah. He's free from the big money of Vercel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also is like has some of the same values that you do that differ heavily from the values of the monoculture. Yeah. Right. And I feel like you guys are both like kind of like floating around the edges of yeah. the big boys frameworks. Yeah. I like should. You guys should just like talk and like. I have um, programmer framework, Java, definitely JavaScript imposter syndrome. I don't have it as much with PHP, mm -hmm. but with JavaScript I do. And yeah. I feel like I'm the PHP guy who wrote some JavaScript where somebody like him is like, you know, I mean, I've looked at the source of solid and it's, I mean, this is it's solid. solid. Um, so anyway, I, I definitely just feel that way. But like, I, you know, whatever. I mean, solid's not, didn't make it into the, the um, I don't think it did. It probably got to mention, but like Alpine is in the you know the top frameworks. Yeah, in it's the, in the JS the, the JS, JS survey, thing. and Solid is not. But yeah. next year, Solid will definitely be. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of Quick, but I don't. I don't know. But Alpine is still in it, which is cool. Um, and I think Alpine is. You gonna learn get, Rust? What's that? You gonna learn Rust? Yeah, I want to. I want to too, dude. Dude, we gotta learn Rust. I feel like okay. Here's two things I feel, Daniel. Well, mm -hmm. Rust for sure, and I watch you know the Primogen as I'm sure you do, and that just makes yeah, me jealous. Dude, that guy's harder. a fucking DJ. I you don't like him? No, I like him, but he's definitely a DJ. In what way? What do you mean? He's just got that fucking DJ hacker energy. Isn't that a good thing? It is, but like he should be taken. I think I think he should be taken with a grain of salt. You think so? Because of his degeneracy i should be taken with a grain of salt because of my degeneracy 100 percent. so i'm not like i'm not immune to this but like funny i i have nothing but respect for the prime oh i respect the hell out of the prime. i respect the hell out of me too right, you know? right. yeah you do. um but uh but yeah you funny. know i think he's i think he's a dj i want to know sure. what you mean by that more uh i have written a lot of code at six in the morning yeah this past month mm -hmm. not because i'm waking up early right i think the primogen is doing that too maybe yeah i don't know, you know but isn't that I why is that the, a bad thing though which i it's not I a bad know. thing what, why is it thing? a thing that's like, i'm just saying like in this in this world mm -hmm. of like uh you know like i think the same about the jared sumner the bun yeah, js guy that guy's a dj too it's like it's good. Hmm. The like DJs push the world forward. Right, but right? what do they lack? D they lack uh, the smooth, uh, even keeled, hmm. uh, balanced view of things that considers all of the edge cases. Sure, sure, sure. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I got you. Like a more they kind of chaotically who wakes run up towards at a solution. Six a.m. And goes for a run. Yeah, it goes, goes to the gym. You know, does that every day. Yeah, the DGen does not. The DGen does not. You know? it's not the way of the DGen. No, I hear you. I feel you. The DGen probably has ADHD. Yeah, right, definitely has ADHD. Runs chaotically towards a solution, and I think yeah. is more creative than the non-DGen. Yep. Um, but did you, hear you his, see his algorithm optimization video? That's like 
like a million Nuh-uh. times faster algorithm optimization or whatever. It was pretty cool. Mm-mm. It it actually I I like didn't even click on it because I was like, eh, like I I don't know. I figured one if that's even possible, like is that even interesting or is it just like a clickbait thing? It's not clickbait. That shit is so interesting. It's legit. It's totally legit. I put on it's Rust videos. Dope. So here's here's what I do. I put on Rust videos in the background while I'm like playing video games or something. Oh. So I still don't know the syntax because right. I never watch the screen. But you know what a borrow checker is. But I hear them is. talk about <laughs> Rust as yeah. they're refactoring Rust. Yeah. So I hear concepts. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah, it's cool. Like I watched or I listened to an hour and a half video of a guy rewriting some C++ in Rust mm. the other day. Yeah. Could I write any Rust at all? Right. No, absolutely not. But like, I'm incubating in the ecosystem. Yeah, me too. This is how I, I learned Laravel too. Oh, I listen just... to like uh, podcast, the Laravel podcast, Laravel podcast, and stuff. Like, yeah. I was like hearing like the IOC container right. and like, all Funny. this shit, you know. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck any of this stuff right. is, but I will soon. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> like, so I've been listening to the, well, not uh, the Rustation or Rustations podcast. You ever listen to that? It's oh, they have podcasts. Yeah, um, and so the the Leptos guy was on it, and somebody recommended that I listen to it on Twitter. Shout out to that person. I don't remember who you are, but thank you. And I said, yeah, I'll cue it up. And I did, and I listened to it. And anyway, that podcast is loaded with good episodes. And yeah, yeah. it's just like enjoyable to listen to Rust people. Um, So Rust and TypeScript, I really am starting to feel like if I don't get on these trains, I'm going to be the left behind guy, Um, which is just weird because... Like I've always just that's been like, about ah, screw TypeScript. I'm very glad to be doing some AI code yeah, that's right cool. now. Right. I felt like I needed to write some code that related to AI. Yep. And I feel like I need to write a little bit of Rust. Yep. In order to justify the next decade of my career. Right. Like, and it's like the new exciting thing that, well, it's not new. Yeah, it's so funny. It's I mean, like, we talked about this. That like at Erie Day of Code, the like the first conference I ever went to. That's like a local kind of small conference. Mm-hmm. The one of the writers of the Rust book is like a organizer and she spoke at it like every time about like rust and i just felt like okay some obscure like systems language that nobody knows or really cares about and it's fine you know i'm not just shitting on for whatever but like i i would listen be like i don't is she the one who gave that talk in a uh in a penguins jersey probably because she's from pittsburgh well it's a talk in erie pennsylvania so probably i've watched a talk from a woman wearing a penguins jersey that was called like Rust, the language for the next forty years or something. Okay, Rust, the language. I don't remember her name offhand, but I will when I see it. She's really nice, and I've like had dinner with her. Uh, Car- yeah, Carol Nichols. Yep, that's her. Yep. Hell yeah, yeah. the Rust programming language book by yeah, Carol Nichols and Steve talk. Klobnik or whatever. And it's so funny. She was like so into run like Rust, and I'm like what are you talking about? I, I don't know i just thought like this is weird and obscure but look at it now holy cow Hell yeah. holy cow it's at least made its oh. way into the zeitgeist of general and web programming oh, it's fully zeitgeist it's like, dude. it is the zeitgeist so everyone i know is really looking for something that requires a lot of speed so they have an excuse I know. To dude i'm literally this morning I'm constructing my to-do list and I've been doing like little performance things every day just to exercise that muscle. And I'm like, is there anything that I could write in the, in live wire, like to do with live? Like, and I'm sure there is for live wire, not necessarily for Alpine, but there's must be some, 
I, I at least like after watching the prime engines optimization video where like it ends up being basically like sets are slow arrays are faster which is cool and then and then but binary is like a zillion times faster than everything so use that and i was like, mm-hmm. like what can i what logic am i doing what algorithmic logic am i doing or like dom related stuff that i can somehow like somehow memoize with like binary things and do like binary logic instead of like you know yeah. traversing a giant array or something you know what i mean just do like, yeah, an like could you, a bitwise and or could you or make something. your dependency tree in rust I, or something? I know well yeah right i mean i mean there's a lot what do you mean like the reactivity dependency tree or yeah, yeah maybe I mean, I've could seen, you like write that in Rust and then like make that like super fast to navigate and then like wasm just that one part? Is that something you can do? You know what would be interesting? I don't I don't know. I mean that would be interesting. I like what if like the DOM is my big hurdle, you know? The mm-hmm. DOM is the hurdle. Well, and that's the thing. But like the DOM is the part that's like always gonna be slower. If you, you yeah, that's the place right, where right. you can introduce wasm overhead. Right. You but know, according like you to the leptos guy, like the wasm overhead is, yeah, it's overhead, but the mm-hmm. virtual DOM overhead is way bigger than the wasm. That's how he's able to, you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, go on. Yeah, wasm overhead. But so I'm thinking like, let's just assume that like any code that touches a browser API. Yeah. So history state, uh, DOM manipulation, yeah. um, any of that shit, yeah. let's just say you don't want to write that in Rust. Yep. Right? That should stay in your existing code base. Yep. But, like, there must be self-contained unit-testable bits of code. Right. Right? Yeah. That, like, are just, like, walking a big array. Yeah. Or something, you know? Or, like, binary search right. trees or some yeah, shit. Yeah, right. I should really, like, see if I can at least so mentally like your dependency wall up tree, what is Your dependency tree not. feels yeah. like... Like the dependency tree feels it is pure like data. a Google interview question. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like it feels like the type of thing where it's like it, someone would ask you to whiteboard this shit in one of those stupid. Uh, yeah. Google. Interviews. And it's not it's like it's not even a tree. It's something that you could optimize the hell out. Of, yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's I mean, I, so this the reactivity engine that I wrote to recreate the solid reactivity engine is um, like astonishingly simple um and unbelievably cool um as opposed to now i'm I'm sure like views reactivity engine does you know it has to be the way it is um Mm -hmm. but it's just much more uh complicated um actually the one thing like the cool thing that that solid does is um for state management like if you have a counter like in in react you would say you know you would destruct like a tuple of count and then set count and then use state mm-hmm. and then a, a primitive, right? Um, mm-hmm. Solid is almost exactly the same. And he he said on one of the interviews, he was like, th- this was totally from React. Like React, it, it used to be different. And mm-hmm. React did this pattern of returning a tuple of like get and set basically from like a use state. And he was like, this is an amazing contribution to like, this is the way. The, this is beautiful. And so yeah. Solid is now... Uh, I've been using collection partition so much. Hold on one sec. Um, Sorry. Uh, destruct a tuple, just like React, count and set count, and then basically use state, but it's create state, whatever, mm-hmm. and then pass a primitive. The only difference is um, 
wherein React count is pure, it's a pure value. Like it's a pure primitive. Count in solid is a function you call to return count, which basically it is the behavior of view. It's reactive, but it's the explicit get and set of React. So it feels like React, but it is reactive like view, where view chooses the, the proxy approach and you know all like the proxy and the refs getter setter reactivity approach um but solid is just it's so pure and simple so it was just so much fun to write my own version of solid as opposed to writing my own reactivity engine like views reactivity engine which of course i've done which is like all proxy based and just so gnarly and you're always and it's just like you're pretending so much but with solid it's like this is just a function you can't use this as a normal value you have to call this function and and it's so simple it'll just trigger the get reflex and it will return the value okay tell me about collection well, and i feel like oh well, i will talk about that in one second but like i feel like just from a future proofing perspective mm-hmm. um browsers have the smartest people in the universe yeah getting paid insane fucking amounts of money to make them faster yeah right sure like v8 yeah. Or, you know, all of these, like Chrome is getting faster yep. because Google is spending $100 million making Chrome fast. Sure. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? So, like, if we just assume that, like, Chrome will get faster infinitely yep. as Google, like, continues to invest in it and, like, WebKit will just get better and better and better and better, um, then, like, on an infinite timescale, that direct access to the metal the advantage increases more and more and more and more, right? Okay. Because, like, the whereas, like, if the browser is slow and, like, f- fucking with the DOM is slow yep. and, like, you know, all this shit is slow, then, like, virtual DOM has, like, some right. advantage, yeah, right? Right, right, right? But, like, assuming that, like, Google is just going to, like, make fucking with the dom right, less right. slow over time yeah, yeah you get to benefit you're just kind from of all like of that work a, that i was reading through the you morph dom um like kind of white paper yesterday and just to refresh myself with the initial like because he did a bunch of benchmarks and comparisons against the virtual dom and i've been doing my own benchmarking and just like man you can't beat a virtual dom crawl like that's you're freaking mm-hmm. just crawling an array it's so fast but i did learn briefly i learned that dom crawling is actually very fast as well there's mm-hmm. like i learned array dot from is crazy slow and kills everything um so just don't do array dot from but crawling mm-hmm. a dom the tree walker is slow i've i keep finding this that like people you know say the tree walker is like the most efficient way to crawl a dom that is not the case like just literally writing your own crawler that's like a while loop where you wild like recursively is is still like pretty fast so i found that it's five times slower than a virtual dom crawl which is not that bad like a linear 5x slowness from crawling an actual real dom um as opposed to just a simple array of arrays i thought it would be way slower um yeah and so like if you think about it right like let's say google some egghead at google yeah you know finds a way to to make, make crawling doms element, faster like, incredibly fast yeah. yeah well so you're your project instantly benefits from that improvement. Yeah. 
React doesn't. Per se. I mean, React presumably, like, would benefit but, but, because, but like, maybe that... they would optimize, like, array crawling or something. I don't know. But I, I, I know, I guess I know what you're saying, where it's but like... You get, you get what I'm saying, yes. though, right? Like, like you're you're just in this position where, like, you've offloaded a lot of the performance... Right. I, I get what you're... To the people who are best equipped to deal with performance. Right. You know? what, I, what I, like, didn't... What point I didn't make quickly enough was that the morphdom white paper in it one of the like bullet points is like we just benefit from the the naturally increasing um performance improve you know the yeah. of of browsers you know so that's just like a natural benefit of an like approach we like can't this. be more than three years out from like a fully rust uh javascript runtime in a mainstream browser right no that'd be pretty wild I mean, like, Bun is already, like, uh, it's not Rust, but it's Zig. But, like, it's already, like, a new modern low-level language implementation of a JavaScript runtime. Yeah. And it's this one fucking DGen doing this shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, one of these fucking companies is working on a Rust re-implementation of V8 right now. Yeah, that'd be cool. You know? It's definitely happening. I promise yeah. it's happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah. Don't you know it? Good episode all over the place. Dude, Loved it. Oh, the best kind of episode, dude. Best it's kinda. been a pleasure, dude. Oh, Daniel, it's been an absolute hot toot, scoot boogie. It's been a joy. Pleasure, Daniel. It's been a um, joy. Yeah, so let's just do that. So let's just sign it off. We're at two hours. Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's cue, cue that outro music. That outro. Do it right. Music. Okay, and, yep, and now here we go. Music.